Hello, my name is Josh. I'm Jamie. And welcome to a special episode of A Conversation with Two Geeks, the podcast where we talk about movies, the comics, and everything in between. Today we have a special guest. This is Josh Griffey. He runs the podcast slash YouTube channel, Film Alchemist. Say hi, Josh, or rather, other Josh. <laughs> Hello, other Josh. How you doing? <laughs> good, good. Good. Uh, anyways, the three of us will be talking about the seminal 1987 film, Robocop. get the best of both worlds the fastest reflexes modern technology has to offer onboard computer assisted memory and a lifetime of on the street law enforcement programming it is my great pleasure to present to you robocop this guy is really good he's not a guy he's a machine old detroit has a cancer Cancer is crime. Let the woman go. You are under arrest. You, you better back up, pal. Your move, creep. What are your prime directives? You have the right to remain silent. You have the right to an attorney. Anything you say may be used against you. A cyborg, you idiot. You recorded every word you said. You're dead. We killed you. His memory's admissible as evidence. You're gonna have to kill it. Get in the car, for God's sake! Robocop, the future of law enforcement. Um, but before we do that, Jimmy, would you mind doing our social media stuff? Yeah, so if you want to follow us on all our social media channels, we are on Twitter at Convo with Two Geeks. That's with the number two. We're on Facebook and Instagram at Conversation with Two Geeks. That is spelled all the way out. And also, if you feel like emailing us about anything from this episode or our previous episodes, we're at Conversation with Two Geeks at gmail.com. And we will have a link to all of this in the show notes. Also, you can find our back catalog on Spotify, Google Podcasts, some podcasts, or wherever podcasts are listened to. So, again, some other Josh, welcome to the welcome to the show. For sure, man. Thanks for having me, guys. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> of so, especially for RoboCop, man. Da, na, na. <laughs> yeah, da, that music. Na, na. It's a, it's a fun one. I feel like this will be interesting for me since I feel like if if they see the video of this, they'll be like that guy's at least three times older than them. So this will be. Oh, an interesting RoboCop through the ages. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll I'll just say this right now. Uh, it's mostly going to be audio, so <laughs> that's all good. Thank God. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't put my face on. I was running late, but yes. Yeah. No, it's, it's okay. Uh, yeah. No. Um, but yeah. No. We're doing the 1987 RoboCop movie, and here's a synopsis: In a crime-ridden and corrupt future, Detroit. A morally wounded cop is put back on the force as a powerful cyborg, but is haunted by the memories of his past life. <laughs> Wait, did you say morally wounded or mortally? Because either Mor- way kind of works, right? <laughs> like, I feel like both of those would work. Uh, I, I said mortally. <laughs> yeah. I feel well, like he had to confront some things. Yeah, yeah I know. He had to confront some stuff. But yeah. Um, <laughs> so look, when it comes to this movie, I... I Josh, would you would you like to since you are the senior senior film analyst, would you like to For those of you who can only hear this, I'm so young and so fit. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh yeah. So I was telling you guys before we started, this was 
one of the most important movies for kids in my area at my age. Mm-hmm. Um, I happened to have this grandmother who was a, a psychic, right? My grandmother was a hotline psychic. And so she just sat in her trailer all day and chain smoked cigarettes and recorded every single movie off of TV, right? That's what she would spend her money on is she would just buy blank VHSs in these giant boxes, right? That sounds like an awesome was, grandmother. I'm sorry. Yeah, and she had these little like smoke stained tablets that she would like write out like a Dewey. De- I don't know if you guys ever had to use the Dewey Decimal System. Yeah, it's it was a library thing when you had to find books before mm-hmm. computers, but uh, she had a copy of RoboCop. And so my grandmother would babysit us and she gave me this tape and it became all consuming, right? I just, there's there's something primal about this movie that even as a nine-year-old, I fell in love with. I think the visuals of RoboCop himself, the, you know, epic soaring music, the uh, concept of one man coming back and, you know, cleaning up the city, which is more questionable as you get older. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's one of those fun movies, too, because it ages with you in an interesting way. As you get older, you start to see a lot more of the the subtext and the heart of the movie. Right. Like today, mm-hmm. I was struck by how this movie could have been called Ghost in the Machine. And yeah, that that kind of stuff. I think it's one of those movies that it seems like a generic surface level, just action, blood and guts movie. But there's so much more going on that I think that's why it has mm-hmm. stayed as beloved as it has. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with you on this. Like when I. Shit, I'm trying to remember when I first saw this movie, and <laughs> I, I I think I must have been like nine or ten, and I saw like a TV version of it. But I don't think I was until about I I honestly, and this is true, I don't think I actually sat down and watched this movie until I was like seventeen or eighteen years old. Yeah, and just like and just fully enjoyed it because you know during that time, you know the remake had already came out and stuff, so I. <sighs> Yeah. The what? The what? What was that? Yeah. No, yeah. I'm no. No. no it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I, I know. I know. But yeah. No. By the I mean, end, technically, like, I like RoboCop three, so I don't. You know, I don't want to be throwing rocks from my glass house. But yeah. No, 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 no. I know what that one. That one doesn't exist. That one doesn't exist. Just just like the just like the Total Recall one, but it doesn't exist. But yeah. No. When it comes to RoboCop, I think yeah, that was like the first time I actually sat down and watched it, and it was really interesting watching it. And so because I just fell in love with this movie, and then I just. I was rewatching it for this episode and I just fell in love with this movie again and just, oh, this movie is so fucking good. Um, yeah. So, Jamie, this is the first time you're seeing this. Mm-hmm. What did you think? Um, it was pretty good. Um, <laughs> listen, for me, we've, so we've been doing a lot of, um, a lot of 80s movies kind of like we did um, Terminator, we did mm-hmm. Blade Runner, and now we're doing this. So I feel like they're all kind of, not exactly the same, but in that kind of same like sub subset i guess of movies yeah. um and so like for me it kind of just gave me a lot of term not exactly terminator vibes but kind of like just like the action like him be- coming back as the robot and like doing all of that kind of stuff that's kind of the vibe i got but like for it was cool though like i like going back and watching this movies because I get a more of a appreciation, especially for like the special effects and all the stuff that they had mm-hmm. to do back then, because it's, I just think it's really cool to see all that stuff and how they were able to do all that stuff back then. Like, that's kind of how I've been approaching these movies, just because like how I've been getting into them and then just like, just watching them and experience them. But I definitely picked up on like the deeper me- meaning of like RoboCop and how like, like all that extra stuff, but you wouldn't mm-hmm. pick up as as a kid that would go over your head. 
Mm-hmm. So for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, know. I I was just seeing about the extra stuff because it's just because some of that stuff I feel like wasn't exactly intentional because I was watching some behind the scenes stuff. Um, as well as like the two documentaries that's on the um arrow, it's that's on the steelbook and stuff. Mm-hmm. And they were going out and they were talking with the screenwriters, uh, Ed Newmeyer and Michael Millar. And some of that stuff was intentional, and some of that stuff apparently wasn't. like all the best movies right it's this kind of magic you throw it together and you know people take it as they take it uh there's a great story i don't know if you guys have ever read the jungle right it's one of those things they make college kids read i think it was written by upton sinclair right and he went to this class to talk about his novel Mm -hmm. and he's like well this is what the book's about and all the kids are like that's not what the book's about and they started saying their theories and he's like all right well i'm out of here like you guys have your own thing and that's always really struck me that even as much as that story is about a novel, right? That's how movies are, I feel like, Mm -hmm. a lot. And I feel like this one especially has aged into itself in a way that a lot of the other 80s movies haven't, right? Mm -hmm. Even some of the weird stuff, like, you know, the Ed falling down the stairs and having, (laughs) like, pig screams. Like, that's a very specific and unusual choice, right? They're always baffling. But... Like today I watched it. I I don't have uh, I know shame on me. I don't have a physical copy anymore. <laughs> and so I watched it on uh, I think it's called Pluto TV, right? Just one of mm-hmm. these 18 streaming apps that, you know, have stuff for free mm-hmm. and watching it today. Pluto inserts clusters of advertisements in the middle of it. Mm. And it is such a weird experience to watch Robocop that has built in satirical news and commercials. And then mm-hmm. cut to a company like 3M, like, we're helping you through the pandemic, right? And you're just like, oh, my God. And so the commercials even become, that was actually a really unusual experience. I would recommend watching it that way once. But, <laughs> I, I, you know, I might try to. And yeah. funny enough, I, funny enough, I was trying to figure out, okay, how do they do that? And that was already, like, again, baked into the script. And thanks to uh, Newmeyer and Millar, and Mil- I think it's Millar. I don't want to Millar. I, I'm just going to say Millar. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, um, it was already baked into the script. Like, apparently, yeah. And actually, speaking of the script, like, the way that that script came about was that Newmeyer was a junior executive at Universal and Millar, Minor. Okay, it's Minor. Not Millar. It's Minor. minor. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Was a music video director. And the, funny enough, Newmar, who came up with the idea, actually came up with the idea while he was working on Blade Runner. So it kind of yeah. connects back with yeah i mean i think to your point though there was a lot of this was the era of right in the 80s everything was bigger and opulent and you know the economy was booming a lot of new technology which seems laughable now but at the time it felt like this we're step we're on the doorstep of the future right so i think a lot of people in this era were gravitating to these movies that were these kind of think pieces on what is that going to look like for me in my life which you know most of the great sci-fi is and you can get caught on the war on crime and the Mm -hmm. you know super cop and who's controlling who but something just as simple as the media is invading our home all the times was a thing that we were really dealing with back Mm -hmm. then because i remember my mom would not let me watch tv for the longest time when i was little Mm because she thought sesame street was indoctrinating me right like these it was a new phenomenon, uh, right? Uh, that kids raised by TV. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just, I'm just like, oh, what? Wait, what? Yeah, some history. Well, like we'd repeat it and be singing the songs, and it. She's like, it has this kind of cultish vibe, right? Like that we are like doing these calls and response. Which oh, now okay. having a kid, right? My kid has even skipped that, and he just watches YouTube all day. Um, and he's six, right? And so he knows all of these 
you know, rate and subscribe and all this. And I'm like, what the hell? Like you're a little consumer already. You're six. Oh, and God. So I think those kind of things in this film uh, have just become more and more prescient. Right. Yeah, yeah, and, no. and that it adds this extra level of because I honestly think of RoboCop as a horror film as much as any other genre. Oh, shit. Yeah. And I, cause I think I think really if I was pointing to I was like, I think this is much more like The Fly than Terminator. Right. This is a body horror story to me. Yeah, no. The, also, on two points of that, you're you're right about the indoctrination, because I'm just thinking of like, you know, the scene with the executives and stuff. And like, yeah. I buy that for a dollar. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Guy. Yeah, I, I, love that. <laughs> I, I love that guy as well. Not and, only is it a bit that we all said all the time, but the way that people just stop their day, right? Like a hardened criminal murderer in the gas station, like people just stop and they just cackle uncontrollably <laughs> at this just american detroit benny hill right and it's it's very strange but yeah i think those little flares are what make this movie so special yeah and also speaking on the body horror thing and this is something i found out during my research cronenberg was actually offered this i mean i i you could imagine a version of that movie i feel like yeah and i'm just imagining like cronenberg, <laughs> cronenberg robocop oh there probably God. would have been a lot more in the surgery scenes and this and that right but yeah. you can kind of see it <laughs> yeah i shoot like when i first saw peter weller speaking i uh face and again this was before i saw the movie i thought wait is this a cronenberg movie mm-hmm. but yeah no you're right about the um indoctrination media and stuff because that's probably like one of the part, hardest thing things especially especially both then and nowadays also and something i was just thinking about earlier is that this is a complete satire of 80s yuppie culture completely oh yeah yeah, yeah. just from like the from like the like freaking bob morton would be he wouldn't be out of place in something like american psycho no and i i think i think that's a lot of it right is that this this movie is strangely a it's it's a tale about a man who's been consumed by the society he's living in right Mm-hmm. It's kind of it's like a classic tale, right? The honorable man who tries to do good and he's consumed. Mm-hmm. And we just kind of brush past the fact that he had a, a family and a son. And, you know, mm-hmm. that comes in a little later. Mm-hmm. But to watch every other character in the film, they they play as almost these video game NPCs, right? Like almost like mm-hmm. they're not real characters. They're these heightened cartoon versions of humans. And it just kind of plays as this this guy being washed asunder, right? By these, mm-hmm. the greed and the the evil men and this and, and i you know to me i think it's one of those things that never really struck me mm-hmm. when i was watching it younger but i i don't know that this movie works without peter weller because i yes. think you can brush past he doesn't have to do a lot right he mm-hmm. you know talks like dead or alive you're coming with me, me. and it seems laughable mm. yeah but i think it there is something too right you can only see this much of his face right yeah <laughs> and he has to get a lot through and he has to move like a robot but still have moments of emoting mm-hmm. and I, I don't know that he gets the the credit he deserves yes for bringing yes. The, mm. the human out past the you know shiny metal armor i completely 100 agree with you and that actually segues way into uh the cat the cast for this because it's i just have to say <laughs> it's just so 80s and just i love it uh, first off, we got Peter Weller as Alex Murphy, such a cop who's coming off 1984's Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension. And that might be in the, that might be that might be a future movie we do because I really <laughs> do enjoy that movie because that movie's awesome. Um, and he was picked over Arnie, Rucker yeah. Howard, Tom Berenger, Armin Asante, Keith Carradine, and James Remar. And and Orion apparently wanted freaking Arnie, which I'm trying to imagine that. And that is oh god, he looked. <laughs> especially with all that makeup it's just but yeah no 
Peter Weller, I think in my opinion, is probably one of our most underrated actors because he's been in so many things and like, and just, you're right. You know, I don't think, I don't think he gets to do credit, especially being in that makeup, which apparently from from all accounts was very cumbersome. Yeah. And I I think most people would say you could pretty easily imagine Arnold being in the RoboCop armor, Mm -hmm. right? The scenes of him walking around and with the giant gun. I mean, RoboCop actually is kind of built like Arnold was back then, right? This Mm -hmm. big hulking guy. But I think what it is, is that those opening scenes of getting to meet Murphy. Mm, Yes. He's somewhat slight, right? He he doesn't seem like an intimidating presence. And I Mm -hmm. think I think that comes back to. You know, this might be a little on the nose, but there's kind of this crack in the armor, mm-hmm. right, where things can get out. Because when you see Arnold mm-hmm. in Terminator, right, mm-hmm. you're like, yeah, I can imagine him just in his flesh body going up against RoboCop. I think that little mm-hmm. extra empathy that we form with Peter Weller is an everyman. Mm-hmm. I, I think that is a pretty integral part rather than just casting a giant guy you could throw armor on. I I I do think that was an important casting role that they went. And, you know, I mean, something like Rutger mm-hmm. Hauer would have been fascinating, too, because mm-hmm. he you know, you guys said you watch Blade Runner. That's another one where mm-hmm. this guy was playing a machine, but probably the most human performance as a machine that we've ever had in film. Right. Oh, really yeah, no, definitely. So, yeah. I mean, I, I I've always thought that Peter Weller should have been just on a rocket ship after this. Yeah. But, you know, yeah, yeah, what, ha- what happens happens. And also, I'm just thinking, especially with the relatability thing, one thing I kind of latched on is the scene where he's kind of like, um, you know, swing, well, like swinging his gun kind of around and kind of just like, he, apparently he's doing it because, you know, his son likes TJ Laser, yeah. which which apparently that was a play on TJ Hooker. And TJ Hooker, yeah. And I might, <laughs> that was even a little too old for me, but I do remember TJ Hooker. I'm this, okay, this is the second time I've heard that. And like mm. the only other time I've heard that is in true romance. And like, I need, I, mm. to be fair, we used it more as like an insult towards each other rather than like watching TJ Hooker, but it was very present <laughs> on the playground uh, culture. <laughs> the playground culture. Yeah. Playground culture was a, it was a savage Lord of the Flies time back then. <laughs> oh, oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Oh. oh, I'm just imagining it right now. Oh, Lord. Yeah. It was, it was rough back then, but yeah, I mean, that's something I guess I would be interested in hearing is so you guys both came to this obviously later than I did. And in today's mm-hmm. era, mm-hmm. I guess I would wonder what kind of things were working for you and what weren't right. Cause this one is this weird mix of kind of comedy to ultra violence. Um, yeah. I, I think it's interesting to talk to people who are finding this movie newer and yeah. see, see what still kind of holds up. I think for me, um, I'm I'm just, I'm just gonna go first because I because here's the thing I've known about this movie I've seen bits and pieces of it but I haven't like sat down and watched it until I was about seventeen or eighteen and it was like on Amazon Prime or something and I was just was like you know let me just watch this and I knew about it stuff I knew about the satire and stuff and I knew about the satire stuff I just didn't realize how especially when watching it because especially when watching it, I didn't realize how funny that satire was and then like and then just all that and stuff but yeah for the most part. I, I think I just kind of took it face value. Um, Jamie, seeing how you're kind of the... <laughs> wait, what did you think? I, I, I know it's um, kind of a question, but it's just, I'm, I'm curious what you think. It's funny because when we've been doing all these different movies, um, they, they all, they're all different and they're all unique in their own ways, but they also, 
like have that very similar kind of like storytelling vibe a little bit like Mm -hmm. and so that's been a little bit of a struggle for me to kind of get into that hasn't been but the action has been working for me the effects honestly like have been pretty good like they're obviously not like what like current movies but like for the most part the effects haven't bothered me at all when I go watch these movies or like the action or anything um it's all worked for me so like that's what a big thing has been for me is just like the overall like mm-hmm. construct of the movie I guess is what I would say and I agree with a lot with what you've been saying too Josh so yeah. Yeah. Um, also, just going back to the cast real quick, Nancy Allen as Lewis, who a couple of years ago was kind of in a weird De Palma phase. Yeah, she she was in what was it? At least Blow Up and Dress to Kill. I've seen for and sure. Car- and Carrie and Carrie. Yeah, she was John Travolta's girlfriend, bully girlfriend. Yeah, it's funny because it, it's one of those movies I always forget she's in, mm-hmm. but she's really good in this movie. Like yeah. she she's really fat. And again, I think I think that's what always comes back, right? Is when I think back to RoboCop, right? You think a lot of that, but I I think of her and I think of Murphy and I think of Clarence a lot, mm. right? Those are the three characters that just kind of uh, always live in my brain okay. because I think they have that extra element that the actors found that made them more than just you know some kind of archetype. Yeah, no, and I'm oh and oh Clarence. Well, we'll get into Clarence for a second because <laughs> I got I got some things with Clarence. But also, um, we got Lieutenant Bo- Bone Mill. I mean, Ronnie Cox in this one, mm-hmm. who I just uh, we're going to be getting into some actors that I've always just been I've been familiar with, and I've just been very interested in, especially when it comes to eighty cinema, and who just keep popping up in these movies. And Ronnie Cox is one of them, and who would later become a Ronan regular with Total Recall. And I just, I love just, um, he is what the title says, such a dick. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's really excellent in this, in this role. (laughs) I just, yeah. And also, it's also just interesting because again, um, I watched, I watched another cop movie, Beverly Hills Cop a little while ago with a friend of mine. And then like, oh, wait, this guy's, and I, and I completely forgot that this guy's also Lieutenant Bogum. Meal yep. and it, it's, just, it's a very <laughs> different. And Lieutenant Belgian Meal for those that haven't seen Beverly Hills Cop in a while is a very different character from Dick Jones. Yeah, there's a big thing in the '80s that once you became a cop, you were kind of always a cop, right? You just started showing up in every cop room, mm-hmm. <laughs> every cop movie. You would be like, "Hey, there's the five cops from that other cop." That was a big explosion of movies, right? Like, I feel mm-hmm. like the cop movies graduated from TV to every other movie of the summer would always be cop movies back then. I mean, we also had Cobra. <laughs> Cobra. Cobra. <Yeah. laughs> yeah. I mean, this cast in general, though, right? Because I, yeah. I think that is one of the other things they do well is um, I'm always fascinated because I'm a Dungeons and Dragons player, right? Mm-hmm. But I love the constructions of bad guy teams. Mm. And this is one of my favorite groups, even though a lot of them don't get an enormous amount of run. Mm-hmm. They just have this visual look and vibe that they feel like they've lived in this gang for a while. Yeah. And, and they have just enough quirks, right? Like you're not going to get a lot of screen time or dialogue, right? Mm-hmm. You got to give us something immediately to latch on to. And I felt like everyone did a really good job of that in this gang. Yeah. And definitely two of them I want to mention, but also get to a third one who isn't, I wouldn't necessarily say is like a villain per se, but he's a very well. He's not even a good guy either. He's mostly just kind of, he's the same level of Dick Jones. And I'm, I'm mostly referring to uh, Kurt, uh, Red Foreman. I mean, Kurt, 
Kurtwood Smith. Kurtwood Smith, yeah. Kurtwood Smith as Clarence uh, Boddicker. <laughs> Ray Wise as Leon. And Miguel Friera as Bob Morton. And the two would, and those two would later be on Twin Peaks together. Yep. Yep. And just, and just, it's always funny to see the Twin Peaks cast in other things because that was such a unique and strange show that you felt like they were all trapped in an alternate dimension. <laughs> it always is, it's always been unsettling for me since that show. <laughs> yeah, no, but see, of uh, Clarence and Leon, yeah, no, you're right. And I just, even though he's kind of, I will say he's definitely more of the, the traditional, you know, sociopathic, um, sociopathic, uh, He's a sociopath. He's a sociopath, a uh, bad guy. I just, I just love his just literally like, good, good, good. Yeah. I mean, so Jamie, you, this is your first time, right? What did you make of Clarence? Cause I feel like for a lot of us, he was one of the, you know, Mount Rushmore of 80s villains. Yeah. What did you, what did you see when you were watching? He was creepy. Like, I yeah, got right? bad vibes <laughs> yeah. from him right from the get go. I was yeah. like, okay. Like, I just remember the opening scene, like, right when they first bring out the, uh, I forgot the name of the robot, the robot, pro- the like, the prototype or whatever. Yeah, Ed 209. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And just, because I, I was a little confused, I'm like, what's happening? Because the opening, kind of, like, with all the news stuff, I was like, okay, I was, that was not what I was expecting to kind of open up the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we got into this, and then I was like, oh, okay. Now I get like these. I was like, I don't like. Th- I was like, I don't get a good vibe from this guy right off the bat. But then like he brought everything out and then shot that one guy or like did the test run. I'm like, okay, well, this is yeah. I was like, okay, so he's obviously kind of crazy, and so and just seeing him throughout the rest of the movie and just like all the craziness. It, it, he was yeah. I can see why he'd be a Mount Rushmore villain because he like mm-hmm. and the acting was good too. Like he very believable. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 It's um, funny because you said they're psychopaths, but you almost get the exact same vibe from the corporate guys. Oh, yeah. Right. No. The way they talk, because to your point, right, that mm-hmm. head test is always mm-hmm. it's one of those kind of wake up calls to what movie you're watching. Cause it doesn't just shoot this guy, it mows him down. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. It's a lingo we used to use, like mowing them down. Like, I mean, he gets shot, it feels like 55 times. Yeah. If you told me any number I was not that high, I'd be like, that. Yeah, and, and the movie does that constantly. So it's just mm-hmm. letting you know. And I, I think there is this cartoonishness to the element on purpose, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, to kind of like rub our noses in it, you know. And again, this is another one of those. I think this movie, I wondered with younger audiences how this movie will play in the wake of some of the the kind of real world stuff that we've been living through lately. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is, mm-hmm. but there is just an absolute, it sets you up right away because as soon as that guy gets killed, Dick Jones doesn't do anything except for go to his boss and be like, this is a setback. He doesn't name the man. He doesn't say I'll call his wife. He's not called the doctors. You see peons in the back scrambling. Mm -hmm. He has zero concern, right? His life has zero value to this man. And you get the feeling Mm -hmm. that that's how everyone in OCP operates. And it kind of gets into this bigger, Mm -hmm. you know, the world is burning around us thing that the movie's doing. But it, it's a really fine line, right? It's just mm-hmm. offices. That's all that separates Dick Jones and Clarence and his gang. Yeah. 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 And you're 100% right about that. And one of the things I saw in the behind the scenes thing, and they mentioned that is that um, it's more or less a plan on like corporate America. And you can kind of see like corporate America, like Clarence and Clarence and Dick. And I'm just going to say Clarence, Dick, Bob, and 
even the gang, they're all essentially <laughs> the very the same. And they're kind of like the symptom. They're like two versions of the symptom. That's, mm-hmm. or as the old man say, there's a cancer that's plaguing right. <laughs> yeah. and they're and they're yeah. kind of this cancer that you know robocop has to root out and stuff and it's very it's very interesting and stuff and i just yeah but yeah no um clarence is a minefield and so well actually all those characters are all both the executives and the criminals are minefields and they're actually like no joke kind of the f- well okay I love RoboCop. I, I love the I love Murphy and his whole thing, but I also am just like very interested in this type of stuff. Maybe it's also because I'm into morally great characters. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know that anyone in this movie is morally gray. I feel like they're all absolutely just pieces of shit for the most part. Oh, yeah, yeah. Almost, yeah. I mean, I guess you could say the old man, right? The head of the company. Mm-hmm. There is this weird kind of Ebenezer Scrooge vibe from him that mm-hmm. maybe here at the end, he actually thinks this shining city on the hill mm-hmm. could actually work. I mean, of course, there's this underlying like, all we need to do is build a new city and leave all these less thans to just rot in Detroit, right? But you get the sense that maybe the the head of the company like a little bit believes he can do good in the world. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know if anyone else does, right? The police are just wanting to strike so they can save their lives. Mm-hmm. Everyone else is pretty much, they, they have no ability to actually confront or change anything. They're just trying to keep their heads above water. Mm-hmm. And then this one man is, you know, given the chance to actually do something about it. And what he does is, you know, that is a morally gray area with Robo. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. The authority that is granted to this, product as they call him is pretty stunning i mean one of the first things we see when he goes in action is he just blows a guy's dick off yeah and it's not like anyone's mourning that guy or his dick but i mean it's it's he blows this guy's dick off throws another guy out of a window and the very next scene we see is they are taking him for a pr stop at a playground with kindergarten kids yes and you're like that is that just opens up all kinds of questionable <laughs> you know, areas questionable. of inquiry. Yeah. Like, what is happening? Yeah. And it also kind of, you know what that scene kind of reminded me of? And we saw a version of this in Star Trek Troopers where they're in like the one of the commercials, the guy kind of gives the gun to the kid. I And, yeah. and maybe, and again, I, I also saw Star Trek Troopers recently off, um, off air and yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. He, well, he that's has- another movie. Starship Troopers got panned and wasn't very well liked at its time. Because the average audience didn't understand he was essentially making a propaganda film, right? So he was essentially like the Nazis were famous for making these propaganda films mm-hmm. that, you know, are these kind of self-aggrandizing fairy tales, right? To keep mm-hmm. people on board with the mission, right? And that's what Starship Troopers really is. And again, it's, I think like RoboCop and some of his other films, mm-hmm. they play as these very surface level blood and guts movies, Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think those extra touches, you know, just keep keep them more relevant because that that kind of stuff. And that's where RoboCop gets it right to me. Right. Mm-hmm. It is yes. that, that that kind of stuff will always be captivating to us. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. the thought of me getting blown away by some criminal and the unjustness of that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what if you got one more chance and, you know, to go back and then is it is it justice or is it vengeance? Right. It's it's tapping into all of these questions that we've all been debating since we first sat around a fire yeah and i i think again i think robocop often just gets reduced to you know some others of its ilk but it definitely you know, yeah i mean 
Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of movies that play in this area. And I think it's always been one of the more charming things is that the guy in the and in the RoboCop body armor, while it looks cool, is not aged very well in the movement, right? You can definitely see like the leggings yeah. and the whatever. Yeah. But, you know, you get past that because you're more worried about Murphy trapped inside there. So, yeah, I mean, I I think I, I've always found that part of it fascinating. And as I get older, too, I just care way less about all the, the hyper violence and the explosions and this and that. And I, I always wait for the scene when he takes his visor off. Right. That's the oh, yeah. moment that mm -hmm. I'm always waiting for every time I rewatch this film. Yeah. And also speaking of Rahonan, the man turned this gig down until his wife told him to read the script again. <laughs> and I just, I find that just, just hilarious. Be like, honey, I think you should give this script, this script another look and be like, all right, fine. You'd be surprised how often that happens. Right. Uh, I remember I just read a story that Stephen King was a struggling writer. Mm -hmm. uh, he was a substitute teacher and he wrote Carrie and he finished it and read it. And he's like, this is trash. And he literally <laughs> threw it in the trash can. And his wife pulled it from the trash can. Had she not done that and it had made it to the, you know, dumpster. We think about all of the pop culture we would have lost in that moment. I mean, oh, Lord, these these things are always that that tight. And it's hard sometimes to see past the other things, especially when it's called RoboCop. Because I would imagine if you ask nine out of ten people to imagine that movie. It would be a dramatically less artistic <laughs> version than this, right? I mean, this is <laughs> I mean, this is also why um when you know they were pitching when um Newmeyer and Minner were pitching the movie, this movie was um turned down by MGM and Columbia before Orion yeah. said okay. Yeah. Orion was a bastion of awesome properties in yeah. this era, though. Mm -hmm. They were really like when you would see the spinning O's. Mm -hmm. It was kind of them and TriStar were really big back then where you'd see those two logos and be like, oh, this is going to be something great. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I don't know if either of them are still I think Orion might still be kicking some Orion. I think from what I understand, Orion kind of <laughs> got a revival recently. I've been noticing. Yeah, I think I heard that, too. But yeah, because I think it was TriStar was like Monster Squad, if I remember right. And then mm -hmm. Orion was this. And you're like, yeah. So you knew what kind of, you know, movies you were getting back then. Mm -hmm. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. And no, you're you're right about that. Because Orion, who also did the Terminator, the mm -hmm. first Terminator movie, um, seemed like they really had it in for like. Robo oh, yeah. Uh, and then it went to like New Line was kind of the hot one for I mean, there was just a lot of studios that were making. And I think that's one of the things that I, I also have this nostalgia for this movie, because I do mm -hmm. wonder what are the chances of something like Robocop coming about today? Um, and it just feels like the kind of movies we don't make a lot anymore. Yeah, sadly, we don't. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I I think to your point, Jamie, right, there were a lot of movies in this era that felt very similar. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like that kind of pocket universe they had created for those kind of big sci fi, you know, adult movies mm -hmm. just kind of gone away. And, you know, I, I, I do miss them a lot. <laughs> I miss them. I miss them a bit as well. And these movies just you know and also and what i noticed especially with these movies especially with orion and thank god to orion they pretty much let uh new meyer and verhoeven do what they want yeah where you know otherwise other studios would focus group and even take the move take the movie and i uh, i need to go on a small tan tangent for a second context i just i was watching a video on i was watching a video at the time of the recording this the uh james gunn suicide squad movie has yet to be has yet to be released. We're shooting this on the th third. It comes out in a few days. 
I was watching a video on the original one and mm-hmm. I, I, I honestly couldn't get through it. Like, and, and it took me two viewings of that movie to realize that that movie was shit. And I just, I just can't. <laughs> and y'all know about the history behind that. Essentially a trailer, a trailer company edited it. So nowadays, wow. even the movie will be taken from you and will be chopped up by an editing company. Gee, I wonder if we just let people do what they want. Well, not. Yeah, I mean, there was the analog. I don't know if you guys ever uh, have covered natural born killers on the show. uh, mm, I'm pretty sure in that one that it's Sundance Quentin Tarantino attacked Oliver Stone with a hatchet because he was so (laughs) mad what he did. So (laughs) the creative differences have been around for. I think the problem is now, right, is that if you had something like Robocop today, I think to your point about a trailer company editing Suicide Squad, which, you know, it's probably debatable how much really juicy footage was in there that would have changed had they done it better. Yeah. But now if you if you make something like Robocop that's big and has these effects that we all love and this and that, it has to be a commodity first, like Robocop himself. Right. They take the kind of spirit of this thing we like and force it into this product. Yeah. And I think and, and, you know, that's that's how Robocop would have to exist, which means you probably wouldn't have the last 50 bullets in that opening scene. Right. You'd have to change a lot of those things to make it more marketable to wider audiences. Yeah. And I and I know that we're mostly talking about the Ace of movie and we're going to stick to the Ace of movie. But this is but in doing my due diligent research. I did also go into the 2014 movie. I didn't go too far. I'm going to watch a few clips of it. And I tried listening to the score. And honestly, fuck that score. Um, (laughs) Seriously, it's all techno and stuff. And I like techno and stuff. I love that song. But Jesus fucking Christ, guys. Yeah. Um, But yeah, no. uh, (laughs) But anyways, with the 2014 movie, something that you'll actually find, like on top of the IMDb thing, the studio pretty much, as soon as like, like the... The director for it. I even feel bad kind of for the director of the re- remake because essentially he was trying to like do something similar to the original and like the budget pollute to like 100 million. And as soon as like 100 million reached, Sony was like, hey, we need this to be PG 13. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's just, uh, and it just, it, it shows. And there's so, like, here's the thing the remake is not even that bad. There's even, I think there were, there, there's three good things about it Gary Oldman, Michael Keaton, and Samuel L. Jackson. You know, it's hilarious. I did not remember one of those actors being in that movie. (laughs) If that tells you about that. I I mean, that's crazy. I forgot that they were in that. Yeah, no, they were in that. And it's wow. Yeah, I didn't even know they were in that. That's crazy. Yeah, Yeah. I just remember because the problem with the remake was that it didn't have what the the original had, which is there is just no heart and soul to it. Uh And I know people, I think people are doing a roundabout and they like Joel Klinman now. Is that his name? Kenneman. 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 Yeah. Um, He just didn't, he didn't bring what he needed to, to that role. And that could, you know, be many people's fault, right? Like I'm not trying to blame him as the actor specifically, but -hmm. it just, that movie absolutely was just a, wouldn't it be fun to ride around with RoboCop on a motorcycle movie? Mm-hmm. And it just didn't have these extra elements that made yeah. this movie really work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it just, yeah. And I think also part of that is just the tangibility of it. Like, for example, like the practical effects, which I, we, we have to talk about that for a second. Cause oh, yes. um, Rob Bottin, um, who did movies such as The Thing and Phil freaking Tepet, who's worked on everything from Star Wars to Konetsu. And this is no joke. The freaking Twilight movies just did a fantastic <laughs> 
Yes, he was a visual effects. He was the glitter supervisor, yeah. He was a visual effects supervisor. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just looking at Jamie's face. I didn't know that. Yes. Yes, yes. Are you you guys Twilight fans? Were you of the era of the Twilight takeover? I'm experiencing PTSD. Oh, my. (laughs) Hello, darkness, my old friend. It's so funny that you brought that up because since the movies are back on Netflix, there's been like a resurgence of it. Yes. And and I watched, I actually rewatched like part of the last one and I was just dying laughing because I'm like, this movie is so freaking weird. But then I was just dying because, like, that was the one movie where I felt like Robert Pattinson had the most fun because Edward was just like dying half the time. <laughs> like, I remember this. Yeah. I remember this. That's funny. You probably wouldn't suspect it, but I went to the like Thursday night midnight screening of every single Twilight film. I was mm-hmm. at like the first screening because my wife found the books and was obsessed with the Twilight books. Yeah. And after like the second movie, I think she had this like. I don't know if this is my thing, but like we're in now, like we're Twilight yeah. people now. So we have to keep going. I and saw... yeah, it, it was an experience. I, it is funny because it, it kind of had that game of Thrones thing where it was really huge and ever present in pop culture. Mm-hmm. And then it just went away. Right. Like we just yeah. didn't talk about it anymore. And the Netflix resurgence has been really fun to watch. Yeah. I, I, okay. Uh, my Twilight. Story. Sorry. Now you're... Are you <laughs> team Jacob or team Edward? No. Let's get to the real business here. <laughs> Now, now you're making me think of my own Twilight story. So when it comes yeah. to my Twilight story, um, I read the, okay, here's the thing. The first movie's uh, marketing and stuff was really interesting. There was a stats, there was the code by Paramore and stuff, which I will say the only good thing about those movies, and I'll get, I'll get into why I have issues with them in a second. Um, the only good <laughs> thing about those movies were the soundtracks. Those soundtracks. The soundtracks were good. Yeah, they, those they, soundtracks just, yeah. mm. They, they were they were amazing um but anyway so let me um i do have a story about this though i used to play in a softball league and taylor <laughs> lautner was on the other team seriously and so he was playing with us right uh-huh. and he hit a ball and he was trying to run right and i think i was playing third base or first back here i used to play one of those two and he tripped when he ran around and i laughed really hard right and maybe a little too hard because he showed up and my wife's like that's Taylor Lautner. Taylor Lautner's here. And I was like, all right, I get it. Taylor Lautner's here. And I laughed and he got up and he was mad at me. And so in my mind, the only thing I was really hung over, was like a hundred degrees. And I was like, am I about to get in a fist fight with the werewolf from Twilight? <laughs> or rather <laughs> shark just a real strange moment. Yeah, sure. I forgot he was shark and lava boy or lava girl. Cause my brother used to watch that. Mm. And I've seen that movie a bunch. And I had no idea that that was the same person. Yeah. But yeah, I thought for sure. I was like, holy shit, I'm about to get werewolfed on this softball field this Saturday morning. <laughs> just be like, funny. I better start marking my grave. I still think I could have taken him. I would have been I would have been on Team Edward that day. I think I even said that as we were leaving the field, just like as an extra dig. Uh, <laughs> let me put it this way. If Taylor Lautner would even remember me, which he wouldn't, not a fan of me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyways, so- <laughs> Back to my <laughs> back to my thing. So I so the marketing for the movie was first movie was happening, and I because you know I was about like eight or nine years old. I was mm-hmm. I was very I was very young and very impressionable. I was like, okay, let me let me read this let me read this first book. I read oh the first God, book. You were eight or nine when Twilight came out. Holy shit! <laughs> <laughs> this is one of those moments people just say things randomly, and you're like, oh my god. 
<laughs> I'm having more of those at this stage in my I life. I was in the perfect age range for this movie. I yeah. Remember, I was like 13, 14. Oh, yeah. No, you were the freshman target. Freshman high school. Man. You were the target demographic. Yeah. Yeah. You guys were in, right? That's like yeah. my brother was perfect for Harry Potter and I was too old. Like the other day I was telling someone, I was like, I watched the Woodstock 99 documentary on HBO. And I was like, that documentary is amazing. And the girl, the, the uh, lady we were interviewing is like, yeah, I think I was seven when that happened. I was like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> you know, like, oh, shit. But yeah, no, yeah so it I, happens. Man. So I was reading the first book and <laughs> I, here's the thing. As soon as I was done with the first book, I, I realized this is a piece of shit. And just, hey, she just, she just chucked it. But millions yeah. of satisfied readers would disagree with you. Well, uh, yeah, the, the, uh, but yeah. Anyways, back to it made them so much money, though. It it's really all did. the money. Oh, uh, and because of all that money, Robert Pattinson gets to make interesting, weird, independent films now. So, yes, yes, True. very much. There now is there is man. a pay dirt at the end of the Twilight field. <laughs> anyways, back to <laughs> so robocop yeah the robocop uh yeah so Fuck the- robocop let's just go into twilight <laughs> but yeah no but yeah no the visual effects for this movie mm-hmm. are fucking insane and just again you know we're talking and even like the stop motion stuff which again i kind of get I, I almost get a little how bit does claymation sit with you guys when you see these now it's it's interesting because it's like it feels tangible and real but also i no joke okay i kind of get a crap it Maybe because I've seen this in a meme meme somewhere before I saw the movie. I kind of get a crack <laughs> of when like the N209 kind of like falls, falls out, and it's kind of like Wah! Yeah, pigs like pigs being slaughtered sounds. It's such Ooh. a weird moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like I- wee, wee. Oh, so strange. <laughs> I mean, the one everyone laughs at is when uh Dick Jones gets shot out the window and he's oh, like he has essentially his play figure is shaped like the slender man. Yes. You're like, what is happening? <laughs> Did they not get his arms? What the hell? Well, it's strange because claymation was just such a part of my cinematic language at that time, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Every movie I loved, it felt like had some version of that. Big Trouble Little China had like the little eyeball guy. Howard the Duck had monsters. I mean, I know it's weird to say that now, but I used to love Howard the Ducks. I was a kid when I saw it. It was funny. Also a very strange dark film as you age and watch it again. Yeah. But movies just always had these kind of claymation bits. Mm-hmm. And that was just something that was such a part of how we watch movies. I do wonder, it's like, Jamie, when you saw that for the first time today, is there an initial like, wow, that's cool. Or. <laughs> um, it, so normally I, so since watching these movies and doing this, I've picked up a little bit more on, um, special effects and like which ones are really well done and which ones aren't this one it was I thought it was good for the time but there's definitely moments where I'm like okay I, can, I was like that's a little bit a little bit weird <laughs> um and stuff but it just kind of depends on if I catch it sometimes I do sometimes I don't but like honestly like if that's what they had to do back then to make their special effects I'm good for it you know like like it like Claymation, like, while it might not, like, why it might be hard to, like, make it look as realistic as they can, this, if that's what they got to do, that's what they got to do, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I'm, like, some of that stuff is hard for me to pick up. Some some of it I pick up. But, like, I remember when the robot guy came out, the prototype, I was, like, and they were just bringing him out slowly. I'm, like, okay. Like, his legs, like, it looks, I was, like, it looks kind of weird. I was, like, <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's it's always funny because that's how I felt when I started seeing a lot of CG in films. Like I went back and mm-hmm. showed my son the fight scene from Matrix 2 where Neo fights all the Agent Smiths. Mm. And you're like, that is almost unwatchable in this day and age, right? Like at the yeah. time that felt like such a leap forward. And you watch it now and you're like, oh my God, like layers, people, layers, like give me some pores or something. <laughs> it's so bad. And Matrix One was almost exclusively practical effects, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I think there is always this weird mix of when you're an audience member watching, right? Mm-hmm. And you're watching something like RoboCop. So that immediately for me lowers the threshold of realism for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just want it to feel like it works in that world. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think I think RoboCop does a a really good job of that, you mm-hmm. know, for the most. And again, there it's never going to be right all the way with Claymation. But I think what this one does well that the best ones did. Right. Is so you see Ed walk out. It looks all right. That's weird. Like they just made a microphone into a giant, you know, ATAT from or ST from Star Wars or whatever. Fine. <laughs> but then when they cut right and Dick's doing is, you know, hey, I think you should use this gun and try to threaten him in the background. There is just a giant prop that was built. Right. So mm-hmm. they they mix and match when and where they use the claymation with some kind of real thing that actually catches the light properly. And mm-hmm it lets you forgive those other moments a little more mm-hmm. and RoboCop is excellent at the, and the makeup effects in this one mm-hmm. too, right? Cause they're kind of the practical effects are there, but the, the makeup and costuming effects in this one are insanely good. Again, just Peter Weller in the costume, like, Holy oh, yeah. shit. Like I'm just imagining how long that that would be. And how that would be nightmare and frustrating. Yeah. I mean, some days you're like, hopefully it was just snapping on like a Halloween costume, but the, the, mm-hmm. when he has his head exposed, that's, it just looks so beautifully integrated with the machine. Mm-hmm. And then that that final bit, though, the, the one thing that me and everyone mm-hmm. my age that saw Robocop for the first time, the thing we all like ran to the you know schoolyard the next day. Did you see that mm-hmm. was the uh, the mutated guy getting run over? Uh. I mean, that that's one of those moments that just will always be one of my favorite moments in any movie. ever. And, like I showed it to my wife today. I don't think my wife had ever even seen Robocop somehow, strangely enough. I think she's just like, that's your thing. I'm not super interested, you know, in the mm-hmm. robocopping. And I was like, right on. But today she happened to walk through. I was like, stop and watch this. And we just laughed and we watched it like five times. And I was like, it still works. Like there's something so so visceral about the makeup and then just the like water balloon effects. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's one of the memorable scenes of the 80s and especially of RoboCop. So I I just think that. Yeah, the effect work on this across the board over many different disciplines is just staggering. Yeah, and also I just, yeah, I, I 100% agree with you on that because I'm just thinking about that scene and just like, it's very water balloony and just, but it's also just perfect and just, <laughs> and also I'm kind of with you. Like every time I see that scene, I would like, re, like replay and just be like, yeah. oh God, wow. But yeah, <laughs> all right. And now we have the score, oh. which, the score, which Basil Hamadaris, did, he didn't. He hasn't passed away, right? Please tell me he hasn't. That's a good question. I don't know. I'm, Let's hope not. Let's hope for the best. Uh, May he live as long as Jacob or Edward. Edward. Oh, May he oh. live as long as Edward. Oh Lord. Uh, <laughs> oh shit. Okay, so I did a small bit of research. He sadly passed away in 2006. Oh mm-hmm. bummer. Yeah, and I mean. This man not only did like Conan Barbarian, but Hunt for Red October and a bunch of other movies. Conan this... the Barbarian. See, these are all like in my wheelhouse. I was a child of the 80s. Mm-hmm. So all of these movies were just the coolest thing you'd ever seen at this point. 
It was unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, no, the, the score for this, I just, I love just the horn being like, dun, 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 dun. It, it's almost like a, it's almost like a marching theme kind of. Well, yeah, it has this oddly whimsical value. Yeah. Right. For a, a down and dirty, you know, urban crime thriller, right? Like the movies of the seventies that were really impactful. I feel like were these mm-hmm. urban crime thrillers, right? Mm-hmm. The the French connection, the conversation, death wish, dirty Harry, those kind of things. Right. Mm-hmm. Not all of those are in the same box, but any forgive that. Uh, but there was this, you know, urban grittiness, right? And it had like this, like almost like a porn guitar kind of vibe. Like it, it set an atmosphere. And this one is strange because what I love about this music, it is it is soaring and it is epic. And it, it does feel like uh, a fantasy hero marching off to face down, you know, all of the villains. And it's so strangely empowering in a movie mm-hmm. that is essentially very nihilistic right that mm-hmm. none of this matters it's all a money game the people the towns people in this just don't ever get a voice they don't matter it's yeah. just corruption and money and human carnage but in the middle of it is just this fucking soaring powerful song that as soon as you hear it you're like yeah like today when the movie ended and the score kicked on i actually had tears in my eyes like it, it just is one of those transportative songs and I, I don't know why this happened right i love mm-hmm. the scores like that too where you're like this doesn't feel like it's in the right place but it works perfectly yeah and i completely forgot about the whimsy because you know it doesn't you normally don't and you're right like normally it doesn't like match with like films of uh films like this like your dirty harry's and your death wishes but it's like it's weirdly whimsical and i just I don't know. yeah or it's even just, like terminator blade runner the other movies jamie was mentioning a lot of them just mm-hmm. say very downtrodden maybe they'll use a little you know kind of like flourish here and there that makes it sound more technological but Mm -hmm. this is this is a fantasy score right this is it's kind of that weird thing right when you think about star wars it's not really a science fiction film it's a fantasy epic Mm -hmm. in a weird way this score kind of puts robocop like that in your head a lot even though it is very much rooted in science fiction yeah there is this little bit of extra aspirationalness because it's it's hard to realize you're like I'm rooting for a reanimated corpse mm-hmm. who's lost his family and it's you know it's there's no really easy way to cut what happens in RoboCop. Yeah. It is tragedy across the board, and this man is somewhat stuck in this purgatory of never ending crime and sacrifice. But that music mm-hmm. makes us feel like it's worth it, mm-hmm. and that we <laughs> and, and, I, and that I think we that's win. amazing, and that yeah. uh, that the character can win. And so just to round up this conversation and stuff, so the film had to be submitted to the MPAA eight times, mainly because of Murphy's death and the Ed 209 scene. Also, Michael Ironside, who would later be in Total Recall and Star Troopers, was offered the role of both Clarence and Murphy and turned both of them down. Could you imagine a film where Michael Ironside's is Murphy? Michael Ironside, okay, so Michael Ironside's one of my all-time favorite actors. (laughs) Because he's just that guy who so knew exactly what he brought to the set, right? He mm-hmm. always, every time you see him in a movie, you're like, he's absolutely going to be the worst bad guy. Mm-hmm. But there's a there's a, a ferociousness to him that I think actually doesn't, what I like about Kurtwood Smith in this mm-hmm. is he doesn't look intimidating or powerful or scary, right? He looks like an accountant or a guy who like, you know, sells you insurance at State Farm. Mm-hmm. But you know, and you see him put on the suit and he's like trying to play in that world. So like even when he puts his gum on the secretary's desk, right, it's just mm-hmm. every second he's so performative 
And you're like, that's because he was probably always this small, weaselly guy who had to, you know, pretend he was this bigger, badder monster than he was until it manifested. Mm-hmm. And so I think that works perfectly for that. I mean, Kurtwood Smith is all timer in this movie for me. Yeah. It's it's just unbelievable how cringy Clarence. And that's the other thing, too. That mm-hmm. death scene is fucking horrific. Oh, yeah. Right. Because not only is Murphy just getting wasted. Right. And it's it's really rare to see police officers treated this way in movies, especially back then. But not only that, they kind of hint at maybe something worse happened with um Nancy Allen's character before she's brought back down. Yeah, it's just a lot of horrible, horrible things happening in a really condensed segment of the movie. Yeah, and just yeah, no, and you're right about that because it's, I mean, just like he like stops in like the middle of it, and it's very suspenseful. Be like, what the fuck? And then and it just and it also kind of shows like Clarence's psychopath side because mm. um yeah no he just like he legit like tortures him. And yeah. like, and just, I, yeah. I, can, I can understand why the NBA had an issue with that, but also eight, eight times. Yeah. Eight times is a little much. Well, RoboCop is lucky in that in America, we always default more to guns and violence than boobs. Like the scariest thing for an American audience is a sexually self-possessing naked woman right so yeah that, that is where robocop probably slipped through like had nancy allen had uh like a naked scene they probably would have had a harder time with that <laughs> and there was also a naked scene in the freaking bathroom anyways i digress i digress <laughs> <laughs> yeah the mpa is a whole other just like swirling cauldron of madness yeah that and- i don't really you, it's very hard to make rhyme or reason out of a lot of the things they were doing back then yeah, and that's like a whole other conversation that we would need yes. to have. We would need to have potentially with drinks and stuff. But um, yeah, and then oh, you guys I'll- weren't drinking for this. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I and then also the Ento nineteen, which again, yeah, that that probably could give you an R rating. But yeah, yeah. no, I just uh, this movie is just so awesome. Jamie, uh, can I ask one question? Jamie, do you feel like you'll watch RoboCop again? Did you like it that much? Um, maybe, maybe if I have time, I'd sit down and watch it. I'm not. I don't know for sure. <laughs> You're not hearing um, the siren call still. No, I these these movies. I do like these movies, but they're also. I I think I've come to a realization that these might not be like my specific cup of tea. Yeah. But I am glad that I watched it though because I. I do like going back and watching these kind of movies, maybe that I didn't watch as a kid or haven't seen or, and stuff like that. So, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyways, that does it for our special episode on RoboCop. Thank you so much, Josh. You were awesome. Thanks, guys. It was a great time. Yeah. And yeah, um, Jimmy Michaels is out. Sure. So feel free to follow us on all our social media channels. Uh, we are on Twitter at Convo with Two Geeks. That's with the number two. We're on Facebook and Instagram at Conversation with Two Geeks. And also, if you feel like emailing us about anything from this episode or previous episodes, we're at Conversation with Two Geeks at gmail.com. And there'll be links in the show notes to all of these. Um, Josh, is there anywhere where you want our listeners to go and follow you? Uh, yeah. Ready? So, our podcast is called uh, Film Alchemist. We're on all the social media. I actually, off the top of my head, can't remember it, what any of our handles are. I'm old. It happens. We're, we're so old, right? But uh, yeah, I think it's at film underscore alchemist. Uh, you can find us pretty easily. 
uh, we're wherever you find podcasts. We have an older podcast, The Long Box Sessions, if uh, you're more into comic book talk. Maybe coming back. Who knows what the future holds? But yeah, <laughs> Phil Malcolmist podcast. You can email us there, philmalchemistpod at gmail.com. It would be awesome to have you guys. Well, anyways, uh, thank you so much. And we will see you all later, dear viewers. Peace.